Hey everyone, it's the Kung Fu Genius, aka Alex Richter, and I just want to let you know that if you're a Wing Chun practitioner, especially from the WT or Learning line, and you want to get really personalized, intensive private training with me, you can now apply to do an immersion course with me here in NYC, or if you like the sun, in my Florida home near Orlando. These courses are for instructors or anyone who's serious about learning the art in detail and working hard. I teach in program blocks like Siunam Tao, Chumkyu, Byuji, and Wooden Dummy, and those include the Chi Sao Theory fighting applications and training methods as well. If you're really serious about learning Wing Chun, check out the link in the description below to find out about applying for a spot. And while you're here, don't forget to subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius on YouTube, like this video and share it on your social media platforms. And with that, let's get started. All right, peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems, lots of mixing kung fu styles, lots of I want to see Bruce Lee and Charles Bronson in Death Wish 8 ASAP. Let's get to it. He is unstoppable, unbeatable, unbelievable. He's Alex Richter, the Kung Fu Genius. And every day, I practice martial arts. Watch out! Word is, I'm a Kung Fu Genius. Practice all day like a genius. Yo, Dre, how you doing, man? I'm smooth and groovy. Here we go. Here's another episode without Mikey Dean. Where we had to show up and do his freaking job for him. I don't him. know if that's, that's, uh, it might be temporary. I hope so. Well, yeah. he's got the flu or something he's like that. He's on his way. Yeah, he's on his way for our live episode shower. later. Yeah, yeah. He took a shower. And but basically, we have figured out that <laughs> all he does is hit record. <laughs> Mikey Dean comes in like, oh, you know, let me check the sounds. And then, like, he pretends yeah. to do a bunch of stuff. And then he just hits record. <laughs> and then he falls asleep back over there, right? Yeah, right. So anyway, uh, yeah, it's, what's the first question you got today? All right, first question up out the gate. We got some from Jun Junction Street Ligers. Ligers? I mean Tigers. Oh, okay, got it. You know they can't reproduce, right? <laughs> I know you know that. I just told you that a second ago. <laughs> Dre's got a brain full of facts. <laughs> from a second ago. Yeah. KFG. I have a question like you, I'm a Bruce Lee fan. That's okay. What's up. Read all his books, magazine articles. He only, he only wrote two books, by the way. He only wrote two books? <laughs> Meaning, he's read all the books about Bruce Lee, but Bruce Lee himself technically only wrote two books. Okay, yeah. true, true, true. Yeah. I might have one of them. Magazine articles, documentaries, back catalogs, etc. I've gone down more rabbit holes about him, his students, fights in RL, etc., etc. That's real. Li that's real life in RL. In RL, okay. In real life. Ah, uh, gotcha. I figured you Not would know Ralph that. Not Ralph Lauren. No, I figured you would know that because you're like uh, of the two of us, you're the one that's hip. I'm not hip. I'm. Well, I see you're wearing I'm, that hat today. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, this was a gift, and when you get a gift, you honor it. That's what's up. All right. You look good in that hat. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I, yeah. I, I, I hope so. You look like a Navy boy. I hope I hope so. You look like a um, sailor. This, oh. Hey, take it easy. <laughs> so, his students fights in Ralph Lauren's house. I mean, no, no. Real life. My bad. I just, you just told me. Let's get to the life. question. My God. Et cetera, et cetera. Having said all that. It was a lot. Do you think his philosophy on fighting was partially marketing and self-promotion? 
I have no doubt he related everything he did to fighting and martial arts, but he was also a master self-promoter. He realized that although he believed in his philosophy, he soon realized it made him stand out from the bullshit artists. Long story short, how much vanity and marketing was behind his philosophy, notwithstanding he spoke wisdom and genuine fighting knowledge most of the time. Okay, so basically, the question in a nutshell is, <laughs> oh. is, is was Bruce Lee's philosophy something legit is it was it something for marketing is it something he really believed in was it just hype what was the deal and i think we, we got to break that down a couple of ways first of all the idea that we know or i should say the perception that we know or that we have of bruce lee about his philosophy on jeet kundo and this kind of open-minded idea about looking at martial arts cohesively and not getting kind of trapped in the you know the trapping, so to speak, of the individual styles and it's about the individual and not about the the institution and so on and so forth. These are things that we know now after Bruce Lee's notes came out. You have to understand, at the time of Bruce Lee's life, mm -hmm. he was mostly, with the exception of the time when he finally got on Green Hornet and some people knew him for that, he was mostly relatively obscure in the States. If you were not a Green Hornet fan it's totally possible that you could have been a martial artist and Bruce, let's say you did karate somewhere in Oklahoma or whatever, and Bruce was not necessarily on your radar. Mm. Or you saw a photo of some young Chinese guy in a magazine or whatever, but maybe you didn't take the extra, go the extra mile to follow this guy. Or or you would see an article written in Black Belt Magazine about Chi Sao and you're a karate guy and you have no interest in He's it. He's like right? a DK Wu just floating out there. Do not compare Bruce Lee to DKU, all right? <laughs> I, I didn't compare him. No. There's no comparison. There is no comparison. No. Let's not, let's not bring that up, okay? All right? Anyway. <laughs> so Bruce and Bruce's philosophy was relatively obscure during his lifetime. It's, you have to, to be very careful when discussing Bruce Lee, especially when you're trying to contextualize him during that time period, not to get caught in hindsight bias. Mm. Um, which is that in hindsight now, knowing everything you know now, you then look at Bruce Lee through a different lens at that time. But the problem was the perception of Bruce Lee at that time in the 60s, let's say before he made those movies and got international fame, was not necessarily this guy who kind of prattled off all this philosophical stuff. In fact, it wasn't really until the episode of Longstreet that he was on where he talks about, you know, you, you know, you need to embrace the way of dying and, you know, talking about Jeet Kune Do and blah, 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 and, and these kind of philosophical ideas. That wasn't until, what, 1971 oh, when, okay. he, when he did Longstreet. And again, he dies in the middle of 73, and so the perception among the average people was like Bruce Lee was this guy who was, or I should say martial artists who knew something about Bruce Lee is that he was this guy who did the Green Hornet and he occasionally went to tournaments. According to Beardy, he was the guy who handed out the trophies. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's a good gig, by the way. Yeah. But the idea that like, you know, in terms of like what Bruce Lee later became known for which is you know not being bound by the dogma of styles and and you know the individual is greater than the institution and stuff these are things that we really found out on mass later 
once his notes came out first through the the publishing of Tao of Jeet Kune Do and then much later through um, John Little's writings. And unless you had like read the article in Black Belt Magazine, the um, Liberate Yourself from Classical Karate, which was Bruce Lee's article where he kind of first openly talked about the problems of traditional martial arts and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. If you didn't like read that article, which is just in one issue, remember, it's like before the internet. So like if there was an article that was written by someone, if you missed that issue, you, you, you didn't then see it online next month. So, like, if you didn't have that issue and read the article when it came out, then you missed it. Mm. So I don't think that Bruce Lee's philosophy was as well understood during his lifetime as it later became to be, although I would argue most people still don't really quite understand Bruce Lee's philosophy, and I'm not saying that I do. I'm just saying that most of the discourse in Jeet Kune Do nowadays is arguing about Bruce Lee's philosophy and what it means and, and whether Jeet Kune Do can be considered a martial art or it's just an idea or a concept or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, we talked about that on a recent episode, kind of what a mess it is when I talk about why I don't practice Jeet Kune Do. I go, because if you practice Jeet Kune Do, you spend more than half of your time arguing about the nature of what Jeet Kune Do is, right? Okay. And I'd rather just get on with the martial arts practice stuff, right? So... Um, so that's the first thing we have to kind of unpack when we look at uh, or when we try to answer this question is that during his lifetime, I don't think the average martial artist really knew that much about Bruce Lee's uh, philosophy and what he thought about things and all that kind of stuff. So to say then all of that was just marketing, well, then I would say that's really poor marketing if – the word out on what Bruce Lee's philosophy was didn't really come out until after Bruce Lee died. Mm. And he says that Bruce Lee was a really good self-promoter. And I would argue, no, I don't actually think he was. All right? Oh, yeah? No. Uh, because uh, Bruce had a really hard time keeping the doors open of his martial arts schools. Because I don't think he actually had that kind of business acumen. Okay. And I don't think he really understood how to promote things on a daily, regular basis. It's one thing if you're in a movie and you're as charismatic as Bruce Lee and the movie's marketing is going to blow you up <laughs> and is going to sell the next movie. That's it's another thing. thing whether you yourself are really that good at being a self-promoter. Now, that's not to say uh, Bruce Lee definitely knew how to speak in front of a camera, which comes from being a childhood star. He knew like the right things to say and he knew how to give a good show. But I, I think it's a bit of a stretch just to say that he was just an excellent self-promoter because I think that... Uh, his financial records through most of the 60s might indicate otherwise. He had a very hard time paying his mortgage. Mm. He had a very hard time keeping the doors open in, in yeah. a number of his different schools. So, so um, that's what makes him human. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, I, I think that you, we have to just be careful about applying a modern lens to what we know about Bruce Lee when all, because remember, a lot of his writings, these were all his personal notes. He was taking notes on, you know, when he would read books on Krishnamurti or Alan Watts or Napoleon Hill, Dale Carnegie, all of these help, help gurus, their books, you know, Think and Grow Rich and, you know, How to Influence, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, like all those kind of books that he was reading. These were things that he was using to improve his ability to uh, hmm. get in a position in life that he wanted to get in. I didn't and, know he read those books. Yeah, absolutely. I think everyone's read those books at some point, especially yeah. at that time, right? Yeah. So uh, he didn't write those notes 
with the idea that, oh, people are going to read this and be like, wow, I'm such a great philosopher. Those were his personal notes. Okay. So I don't think, it, I, I don't think it's a logical leap to say that his philosophy was part of a marketing scheme because that stuff was not public during his lifetime. So it would be a very poorly conceived marketing scheme to write notes on all these great books you were reading, spin it to somehow work into your martial art of Jeet Kune Do, which is what Bruce Lee did. He was reading notes by these fine authors and these thinkers like Krishnamurti, and he was molding this into his ideas about Jeet Kune Do. Okay. And those were his personal notes, and that's how he was developing his martial art on the philosophical side. But those were not things that he was really making public. So I think, like, it doesn't actually make sense to say, oh, this stuff was just marketing, because he did not really market it that much. Mm. His Jeet Kune Do schools, uh, for all intents and purposes, were essentially kind of private clubs. You know, you had to kind of be introduced to be able to join and it wasn't like you know he didn't really want to teach martial arts on mass because he felt especially what he was teaching was not the kind of thing that's easily taught publicly okay. you know what i mean so um i i don't think it actually makes sense to think that this was all done for marketing it's pretty clear when you look at bruce lee's like uh, you know excerpts from his daytimers and when you look at what he was trying to do in his life, especially in the 60s, he was trying to be a movie star. He was trying to break into Hollywood. And I don't think the idea to break into Hollywood is go, let me sell my philosophical ideas because that's what's going to make everyone want to put me in their movie. And oh, okay. He's trying to, you know, you got to, it's like he's the number to get one where rule. He fits in. Yeah. He, it's the number one rule of salesmanship. You got to sell the sizzle. All right. Mm -hmm. He's trying to sell the sizzle philosophical ideas about breaking down the barriers of institutionalization as it is it re in regards to martial arts is not the sizzle okay <laughs> so I, I i don't i don't really think that besides imparting those ideas onto his own students i don't think that that was some part of like big grand marketing scheme to you know break into hollywood by being a super um deep phil philosopher you know so uh so i think that you know Bruce gets a little bit of uh, pushback from some people who are like, oh, well, the things in his notes, you know, the, his Tao of Jeet Kune Do was plagiarized, you know? It's like, no, Tao of Jeet Kune Do is not a book that wow. Bruce Lee ever wrote. It's a collection of his notes that were released in the 70s by Linda Lee to capitalize on the big fame that Bruce Lee had post-death, all right? And it's largely not in any kind of order, and it's just like a bunch of his notes thrown in there. So you right. have stuff in there that's about philosophical ideas stuff in there that's about boxing stuff that notes that he took from books like uh, asian fighting arts of the world okay. where he just re-sketched a lot of the photos that were in there i have that printing of the book that he has and when i look when i first saw that book i was blown away at the photos in there because like i've seen all these photos these are bruce lee's sketches uh -huh. because before computers before smartphones you <laughs> took notes right. and then he did sketches and then later they released that, not realizing that maybe some of those things were notes from other books. And like, oh, Bruce Lee plagiarized. Dude, those are his personal notes, okay? If anything, Linda Lee plagiarized it, not knowing that those were... I mean, why would she not know that those were the notes he was taking on other books and then just publish it as if it was his own, I think? If there's any blame on that stuff, it would be Linda Lee and the publishers, not Bruce Lee, because that stuff was not intended to be public. Wow. So again, the idea that his philosophical rantings if you will were part of a huge marketing scheme when none of that stuff was really meant to go public anyway i think is a that's a very paper thin argument mm. for that
right? Mm. Um, and then, of course, you hear him in Longstreet. He's very philosophical. Um, but that makes sense. And he's also playing that character, right? That was and, the character, yeah. Yeah, that was the character. And then you have a little bit of that in Enter the Dragon with, you know, finger pointing way to the moon and the kick me and emotional content and all that kind of stuff. Um, and in the uncut footage of Game of Death, uh, as I mentioned before, the philosophical stuff goes on a little bit too much for my taste. There's, yeah. there's just long bits of expository dialogue where Bruce is just going on and on about Jeet Kune Do philosophy and like killing the tempo and pace of the film. Obviously, that stuff needed to be edited, but since that was Bruce at the height of his fame, he might have thought, no, all this stuff should be in there, right? So maybe Bruce later thought that the philosophical stuff was something oh, yeah. for marketing to put in the movies, but I'll tell you what, it would have failed if he left that <laughs> stuff in there. So ultimately, I don't think it would have worked. I'm not 100% sure that his Jeet Kune Do philosophies were done for the sake of marketing, but I think that once he had some fleshed-out philosophies, um, they worked well in those films because you know, he's the protagonist. You want the protagonist to be an ass-kicker who's also philosophical. So it worked, but I don't think that that stuff was just purely designed for the grand scheme of... Uh, that kick me scene in Enter the Dragon, right? That was Bruce's long game, you know what I mean? I don't yeah. think so. And I think that he was someone who who believed in those things. That's why he wrote them down. Those were things that spoke to him, right? And what did he do? I don't I don't know. Bruce Lee was definitely an original in his uh, fearlessness of breaking away from established styles and looking at what other things are doing, but or other people are doing and applying that. But I also think that he was also a bit of an assimilator where he took ideas, well-fleshed-out ideas from other sources, whether it's from martial arts or philosophy or whatever, and integrated that into something that worked for what he was doing. So mm. when you listen to a lot of Jeet Kundo, his notes on Jeet Kune Do and the philosophy, well, it's very heavily influenced by Krishnamurti. I mean, you, you almost like... You can almost see a lot of Krishnamurti's ideas, just you replace... Um, words about God and religion and you replace that with uh, martial arts and it's the same argument I mean most of the arguments against organized religion and people who are kind of institutionalized in belief systems are all the same exact arguments you can make against traditional martial arts it's one to, they're one to one the same hmm. so uh, yeah I don't think it was BS I think it was real and, but I think it was something he was able to use and capitalize on in some of his roles. But I don't think that that was the long game, you know, to get into Hollywood by sounding like Krishnamurti. All right. So wow. anyway, what do you got next? Okay, we got next. Turtle Boy 626 Gaming. Okay. Yeah. Because Turtle Boy 625 <laughs> Gaming was already taken. It was already taken. Yeah. Other ones before that. That's right. Man. So, we're going to go with the, uh, he's the new listener. Okay, excellent. I'm binging backwards. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Yeah, like a Star Wars. Uh, I come from a long fist in Shaolin background. I started in Ving Chun three years ago with a huge pandemic break in the middle. What, if any, other forms of Kung Fu do you recommend to blend with VT? I know you've said you train in BJJ and did Thai kick boxing in the day, but I'm staying with Kung Fu. Thanks, Sifu, Dre, and the Scott bloke 
on the board. Scott Bloke. He's not even here today to be insulted by that. <laughs> uh, I would love to that, see it. That's a great question. Right uh, welcome to the Kung Fu Genies podcast and listening to them, binging them in reverse order, although I suppose... If you do it that way, the episodes are going to just get progressively worse. <laughs> Our early episodes were not great. We were still figuring out Oof. the format. Oof. God bless, man. God bless. Yes. Uh, so so basically, uh, he said that he started with Wing Chun three years ago, which was around the time of the pandemic, and then took a big pandemic break, which means he has not done much Wing Chun at all. Mm. So my advice would be, if you've done very little Wing Chun, the last thing you need to do is to start mixing it with other styles. Because you, as my, my, my friend Tom de Blas, he's a Brazilian, very famous Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy, top of the level, uh, like top of the heap kind mm-hmm. of guy. He goes like, you, you know, you haven't even dipped your balls in this style. <laughs> We're talking about blue belts who pontificate on Brazilian jiu-jitsu and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And he's like talking about like blue belts haven't even dipped their balls in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And they're giving their opinions about it, right? So I would be very cautious um, because it's very easy to think mm-hmm. that the way to get good at stuff is just to mix a bunch of stuff. And I'm, I'll, I'll give you a couple arguments against that, all right? Um, anyone who's world-class at anything is really normally good at one thing, all right? You, you, very rarely do you go like, oh, I'm going to learn from this famous Sifu. He's good at six different styles. No. You go to the person who's like the banger at Wing Chun. You go to the person who's a banger at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You go to the person who's a banger at Muay Thai. You don't go like, yeah, this dude's amazing. He's like a Muay Thai Wing Chun Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu boxer Aikido guy. All right? You, you don't hear that. All right? The people who have made a name for themselves are the people who Specialists. have who specialized in something and they're so good at it. Now, that doesn't mean that those people don't have knowledge or working knowledge of other styles but they have gotten really, really, really good at something. And the people who treat martial arts like you're going to a buffet line, well, I'll take a little bit of Wing Chun Bong Sao with a little <laughs> bit of boxing jab, with a little bit of uh, wrestling take that with a little bit of this or whatever, generally don't, uh, m- generally don't make their mark in martial arts mm. because they think that the reason why they're not able to do something is because they haven't learned something else yet. Now, I think that's true in that you haven't learned something else about the thing you're trying to do. But they think they haven't learned something else in terms of, oh, I need to learn another style to fill in this gap. Whereas if you're competent in your style, you know how to use it, you're well-practiced, you've done sparring, you, you, you have applied it in different situations, you have a level of competency that allows you to even understand the weaknesses of your system. If you just try to patchwork this quilt together by putting a bunch of random stuff together, um, no, that's not going to work. And if you don't fully get into something, how do you really understand what it's missing? All right? Okay. You do a couple Wing Chun classes, learn a couple forms, and go, oh, I need to add kicks from uh, Northern Shaolin. Well, if you understand the Wing Chun strategy against kicks getting in close and not letting the guy have any space, it doesn't necessarily make sense to add a bunch of high kicks and spin kicks to Wing Chun if you're not even going to fight in that range. But if you start adding these kicks from this style with a couple Wing Chun moves from here and sprinkle in a little bit of this and that and the other thing, that doesn't necessarily mean that what you have left over is something palatable. All right? It's like going to a buffet and you don't just go... If you go to a buffet... Here's how you should eat at a buffet. You go and find the best food at the buffet. They have filet mignon, but they also have the cheap meat, and they also have rice. You don't fill up on rice at the buffet. You don't fill up on the crap. You don't eat salad there. You go to the filet mignon. 
you go for the good stuff. Yeah. All right? Crab but most Yes, right, exactly. But most people, they pile a little bit of everything on their plate, and it's n indigestible nonsense, all right? <laughs> and you cannot look at martial arts like that or say, like, oh, well, I do kung fu, so I'm going to mix styles, but I only want to keep it within kung fu. All right? That doesn't make it any better. It doesn't make it any better at all. In fact, I would almost say if you do want to mix styles, you should do something outside of the genre. All right, like I practice Wing Chun, and Wing Chun is my thing, but I also want to know what Brazilian Jiu Jitsu people are going to do. I want to know how Muay Thai people do kickboxing because I'm more worried about my students and in, 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 in the practice against those kind of styles, much more so than like, yeah, but there's this really wicked kick from Northern Shaolin. Hmm. Not that worried about that stuff, oh. right? And that kick might be really wicked, but it, but defending it follows the same concept as defending any other kick. Because it's about distance and range management, not about the specific style of kick or something like that. Oh, right. And then that specific kick doesn't necessarily work within the frame of your Wing Chun. So it doesn't make sense to add it. It makes more sense to learn how to fight against it. And I'm always hesitant when I tell people that I have trained or I am training occasionally in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or I've done boxing or I've done these other things because they go, oh, okay, well, then, then, that's, then that makes sense why he, he's, like, so confident in his Wing Chun or, or whatever. And it's like, no, it's like I'm a Wing Chun freak. This is what I do, okay? And you need to become that in the style and you need to embrace it and not just dip your toe in it a little bit mm. and then be like, oh, yeah, that's okay, but I'm also going to do this. Well, let me go and do this or whatever. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think so. And again, like my first argument, right? How many people do you follow uh, on social media in terms of martial arts that are the Wing Chun, Aikido, Karate, Ninjutsu, Jiu-Jitsu, Thai boxing expert? And you go, yeah, this guy, you can do everything. He's all of oh, this guy knows eight Kung Fu styles. He's the best. No. There's a, a Sifu in Hong Kong, which is very rare, because in Hong Kong, if a Sifu teaches more than one style, yeah. they're, they're usually looked upon like as being very shady. Because any one particular style is something that most Sifus would dedicate their life to. You go to a Wing Chun Sifu, because that guy's a banger in Wing Chun. Okay. You go to a Hongkun Sifu, that guy's a banger in Hongkun. But in the States, there's this thing like you had these Kung Fu schools and they would teach like five different styles. Mm -hmm. That school would never exist in Hong Kong. Because if you went to a school in Hong Kong, you'd be like, what style do you teach? I teach this style. Okay, I'm going to go and learn this style from this guy because he's the best. If a Chinese Sifu was like, I teach five different styles. <laughs> in Hong Kong, they would go, mm, no, something seems wrong. Because a couple things, like you have enough lifetimes to master all those different styles. And two, in, China, in just in Chinese tradition, which I know doesn't mean shit for Westerners, um, you have only one Sifu, and that's your mentor, and that's the guy you follow. So if you teach five different styles, or like you have five different Sifus, they look at you like you're some kind of weird, disloyal Yo. person. Now, I'm not saying that that's crap. I'm just explaining no, the mindset, okay? I get that. Like, I get for Westerners, like, that shit doesn't matter because <laughs> we're pragmatic and scientific and we just want to... Like, I get it, all right? That That is the weaker of the arguments that I'm making, but that is an argument on the Chinese martial arts side that, like, there's one Sifu I know of in Hong Kong that teaches multiple styles, and it's really bizarre. Mm -hmm. Like, in the States, if you had a, a kung fu school that taught five different styles, especially back in the 90s or 80s, you'd be like, oh, okay, yeah. All right, that guy teaches a bunch of different styles. But in Hong Kong, there's one Sifu he teaches, like, Wing Chun, Hong Kun, Choi Lei Fat, Southern Mantis, a few different styles. 
each of those styles, like you can literally dedicate your life to it, and you'll never quite master it. Because mm. Hongkun has so many forms, Charlie Fat has so many forms. Zhao Ga Mantis is such a difficult style to learn because it's just so hard. Wing Chun is you need years of practice, and this guy teaches all of those things. And in Hong Kong, people find that super strange. <laughs> and even though I'm sure he's very competent in all of those styles, even me as a Westerner, having grown up learning kung fu in a you know, and understanding the Chinese cultural end of it, I even look at him weird, and he's like a Chinese dude in Hong Kong who teaches things. And I'm like, mm. he's probably like thirty. No, no, he's <laughs> he's older, but still, I mean, it, it, it's a little absurd to think that, he, like, he would have the competency in any one of those styles as one person who has dedicated their life to that style. So you can be, it's it's really like the okay, you can go ahead and mix all the Chinese kung fu styles you want. Right, but I don't necessarily think that that's going to make you awesome, mm. and you're not necessarily going to really understand Wing Chun with any depth, or you're also not going to understand that other style you're mixing with any kind of depth. So you're both, you're ruining both the styles that you want to mix in because you're not, you're not dedicating yourself to any one of those things. You're dipping your toe, and after you just dip your toe, you're going to make assessments about, oh, now I know what that martial art is about. You do not. You do not know what a martial art is about until you've really studied it seriously for a long time. Man. Mm -hmm. man. Man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. Got like 10 seafoods. All right. Next up, we got Flash Arrow. Awesome. Yeah. Always enjoy your podcast, Seafood Genius. I have a question. I've been worse. <laughs> If Brandon Lee had not been shot on the set of The Crow, how would his career would be like afterwards if he still was alive? Thanks, guys. So what would Brandon Lee's career trajectory have been had he not been shot on the set of The Crow? Hmm. Uh, hmm. So uh, I have to admit, as much of, as a Bruce Lee fan as I am, I'm not as well versed in Brandon Lee. Not I a mean, Brandon Lee fan? No, I I, I am, but I'm I, I never like I don't know nearly as much about Brandon Lee as I do about <laughs> Bruce Lee. So Man. I'm I'm kind of like I'm I'm tiptoeing in a field of I don't I don't know that much. All right. Obviously I know about Brandon. I know a lot about his life and his unfortunate death and so on and so forth. And his career obviously is not as storied or as there wasn't as much depth as his father's career. Um, but there are people out there who really know quite a bit about Brandon, and I am not really one of them. Hmm. So in terms of like... What who did more movies? Oh, well, Bruce Lee probably did more as a kid, too. But yeah, when you count all those, yeah. those childhood films in there Damn as well. Uh, so, the, so the problem is, uh, you know, at the risk of just coming off super ignorant on something. I mean, I really... I don't know, because I don't know what other projects he had lined up at the time of his death. Like, when he was mm -hmm. filming The Crow, was he already slated to work on other films? There are people out there who might know that, and that answer might be yes, and they might know the specific films, and that answer might be no, and they don't know, right? And I know that there were, I believe, although, again, you know, I'm going to say this, this is just off the top of my head, so anyone listening to this can Google it right away and be like, <laughs> yeah, actually, did the game. I'm not Googling anything Good right Google. now. But I believe that... Um, for the original idea that became the Matrix, I think the idea was that Brandon Lee was going to be Neo. What? 
And so, but again, I don't know if that's true or I might be misremembering something or I might be conflating something or maybe it, maybe it was just some kind of fan fiction that I'm confusing as a real story. It's a fantasy. But so like, if you can imagine, all right, so, so Brandon Lee dies in 93, he does The Crow, and let's say The Crow is a moderate success because The Crow became a cult hit partially because Brandon Lee died during the filming. Mm. Had Brandon Lee not died uh, during the filming of The Crow, uh, I... I think it might have been maybe kind of a bit of a... Uh, it might have had a bit of a cult following because it was 93. It was like in the grunge era. Yeah. The movie was very grungy Height. and dark or whatever. So so I think even if he had not died, that film might have had like a cult following, but I, I don't think it would be quite as famous as it ended up becoming, unfortunately, because of the tragedy that happened mm-hmm. on the set. But let's say The Crow is a moderate hit. And he's able to eke out a couple other little action movies here and there. Right. And because The Matrix is, what, 99? 99, March 31st. Yes. So it's still about six years from The from the Crow right. to The Matrix, okay? You got some stuff to do. Yeah, but let, let's just... Because also the problem is, like, remember, in Hollywood, you're only as good as your last movie. <laughs> so had he made, like, one stinker in there... <laughs> then he might not have been at all in contention for a film as big as The Matrix, right? But let's just say he manages to eke out a couple movies, maybe even has a big hit here or there. Mm -hmm. He's able to sustain his career enough during the six years that he ends up getting The Matrix. As Neo. As Neo, okay? That's a whole other movie. It is a whole other movie. First of all, because... uh, you know, and Shit. Keanu Reeves is a great actor, and no, Keanu Reeves can't works, anything works away from really hard. Yeah, and you can tell in the first Matrix, uh, you know, he Keanu was very stiff in the way he moved. Mm-hmm. But you know, you have Yun Wu Ping as the choreographer. Yun Wu Ping can make anyone look good, right? <laughs> and okay. then to Keanu's credit, he got better as the Matrix films went on, like skill-wise, even though the Matrix films got worse as they went on, uh, but he got better. And then, of course, now in, like, the whole John Wick thing, like, he takes his training very seriously. You know, he practices martial arts, and he's he's very serious about it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, hats off to Keanu, because uh, that, that is remarkable to to be bad at something at that level and, mm. like, have the stick-to-itiveness to be like, I'm going to get better at this. Right? Yeah. And he has. Now that's and his, so, like, identity. That's his thing, yeah. yeah. I mean, the whole John Wick thing, right? So, um, but let's just imagine. Damn. Brandon Lee is Neo in The Matrix, all right? Can you imagine how much better the marketing would have been for that film? Because this was one of the first Hong Kong... I mean, okay... The Matrix is weird because The Matrix was like revolutionary for a number of reasons. Right. It, it introduced the way they filmed it. CGI, yeah. the way it was filmed. But it was essentially Hong Kong style action yeah. done with American tech CGI from that time, right? Mm-hmm. So it had elements of Hong Kong films, also a little bit with the flying and everything like that. But it was also something new, you know, with the dodging the bullets and everything like that, right? But it was, you know, if you take away, like, the Rush Hour movies or any films that Jackie Chan released, it was kind of like one of the first real Hong Kong-style productions done as a big-budget American film. Wow. Now you have the son of Bruce Lee playing the lead role. I think that movie would have been something else. Ooh. And, and I think that The Matrix with Brandon Lee as Neo 
also just solely on the fact that this is Bruce Lee's son. Yeah. And here he is in this modern reimagining of like Hong Kong films with modern tech in like the super cool story, unique. Um, He's half Asian. So there's this like, there's a look to, I think that the Matrix. I'm picturing it as you're saying it. It's amazing. And my, my brain is like, Oh, you can imagine. Sh- you oh. can imagine. It might have even been a bigger hit. And it certainly would have been the movie that pushed Brandon Lee into superstardom. True. Because uh, he's mm. already kind of semi-famous because of who his father is. Mm-hmm. He's done a couple movies, but they were like, let's say B-movies, rapid fire. Perfect Showed out Weapon in Little Tokyo. Like no, Perfect Weapon was uh, Jeff Speakman. Okay. <laughs> Kempo guy. Dude. I miss what are you him. Even, what are you even talking about? I miss about? Jeff Speakman. He's still around. He's still around. Uh, Where was Jeff Speakman when you need him? I don't know. I don't know how well he's doing, but he's still around. Um, so, can you imagine the Matrix with Brandon Lee? And, I'm and had he done that, then I wow. think Brandon Lee would have done other things, um, you know, and maybe it would be Brandon Lee and John Wick. Can you imagine that? Damn. Because he would be older now. He would be kind of going into those roles, and and yeah, so th- th- this would this would be a totally different trajectory in terms of the types of films he could make, and to a certain degree, he could he could have been a little bit outside of the shadow of his father finally, because there he is. He's obviously doing yeah. martial arts, which is an homage to the industry that his father created to a certain degree over here, um, but it's done in a modern way, it's done different, he does it his own way, and then I think he would finally feel that maybe he was able to do martial arts, but do it in his own way. Mm. So, I think that would have changed everything. I would love to see that alternate universe. A bigger Matrix. Like, bigger than it already is. The Matrix was huge. And Keanu Reeves, obviously, was a big star. He was a big star then, but can you just imagine, like, okay, they take a small risk on Brandon Lee because he's not as much of a marquee name as the other ones, but it's Bruce Lee's son. I mean, come on. Damn. Right? It's, uh... Damn. That's pretty awesome. That's so, that's yeah. so strange. Absolutely. That's a so... Oh, man, God. Yeah. Whew. Oh, let me catch, catch my breath. Whew. All right, next up, Benny Aruba. All right, here we go. Okay, not Benny Jamaica. Not Benny Bahamas. But Benny Aruba. Great as usual. Awesome. I saw a documentary series. think it was called Autopsy. They said Bruce used lots of cortisone or cortisol shots to his lower back discs to ease his pain, which actually changed his pigmentation between his first and last movie. What? Mm-hmm. If I recall correctly, they said this had a great impact on his brain swelling and him dying. Mm. What do you think, KFG? Mm. Again, people are constantly asking me (laughs) medical advice on uh, stuff that it's all speculation. Again, the problem is um, the, the whole thing about Bruce taking all these cortisone shots is something that really... Uh, was propagated by Tom Bleeker in his book Unsettled Matters. And uh, according to, you know, people like John Little, who've had access to Bruce Lee's daytimers, which 
Bruce had a fairly decent record of his doctor's visits mm-hmm. and the medications he was taking. Uh, it doesn't seem that Bruce was as hardcore into the cortisone as people want him to be, all right? Mm. And again, it's always like the, oh, it was the cortisone in the kitchen, you know, at 3 <laughs> o'clock that killed Bruce Lee, all right? It's always mm. the, you know, whoa, now here, here's something. Now look, all right? The other thing that's a little odd about the cortisone accusation, I suppose you can call it, is that they said uh, cortisone is a steroid. So see, Bruce Lee was taking steroids, okay? I don't know shit about shit, but I do know some things. Cortisone is called a corticosteroid, and a corticosteroid mm. is not an anabolic steroid. As a matter of fact, it's it not works even in opposite. the no, it's not even in the same effing category of ah. what the thing is supposed to do. Okay, a corticosteroid and cortisone, the cortisone shots in particular, they're they're to reduce inflammation, mm-hmm. which is why they're used when there's an injury, like in a, in a joint or in a shoulder, something like that. You get cortisone. I have gotten cortisone shots many years ago in in my left shoulder when my, my before years before I got surgery, my shoulder started to bother me. Mm-hmm. And although it's not the best thing to do when you do martial arts, because cortisone shots can also cause problems in the joints and stuff it's like a temporary solution you don't want to use it regularly Mm. but i've gotten a couple cortisone shots in my shoulder all right so have i now taken steroids all right i've taken corticosteroids you know the weird thing about getting cortisone just like bruce lee got shot in his back i got it in my shoulders all right Mm -hmm. weird thing is i didn't wake up the next day shredded with no body fat full of muscles damn all right that sucks and uh because it's not the same class of drugs, all right? So many people are like, oh, Bruce, he was taking, taking steroids. He was taking cortisone, okay? I want you to say this very slowly, all right? <laughs> and whenever you hear that again, written or someone says it, I want you to just say, you can comment if anyone writes this stuff, okay? Corticosteroids are not anabolic steroids. Say this again 10 times, all right? And if you still don't get it, say it again another 10 times, okay? It's not the same thing. One is for reducing inflammation. The other one is for creating muscle growth. This is a, is a synthetic uh, uh, hormone that's for creating muscle and building muscle when you're going through the anabolic phase of muscle growth, all right? That's it, all right? Two completely different things, all right? So Bruce had some cortisone shots to his lower back after he had the lower back injury, which is pretty normal. And he was also taking some other pain medicine or whatever. And ergo now, oh, this is the reason why he had brain swelling. Okay. Wow. I mean, the number of people who take cortisone shots for whatever they have going on, they're not dropping dead like flies from cerebral edema because they get shots in their knees. Okay. So again, but again, I am not a medical doctor. My medical opinion on any of this stuff is worth a big fat zero because... I'm not a medical doctor, okay? So, should be. so No, I should not be, okay? Because I don't know any of this stuff. And the problem is no one in the comments that wants to tell you why Bruce Lee died 100% is a medical expert either, okay? And no one has the intellectual honesty to say, hey, man, this is not my wheelhouse. I can tell you what I heard or what I read. That doesn't mean it's true, all right? And my opinion on cortisone and steroids and stuff like that also doesn't matter because I'm sure... I just explained to you a little bit about the difference between 
corticosteroids and anabolic steroids. Well, I guarantee you someone with actual medical training could have found some stuff I just said and be like, actually, that wasn't entirely accurate. Actually, the difference is this and the, these are two different... Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, because again, the Kung Fu genius <laughs> it just knows shit <laughs> about Kung Fu, all right? Mostly Wing Chun, some stuff about Bruce Lee, mm -hmm. and some stuff about other Kung Fu styles outside of Wing Chun, all right? right. That is my wheelhouse. Damn. I'm very careful to stay inside my wheelhouse and not to tiptoe in the tulips of shit I don't know. All <laughs> Stay right? in your lane. All I know is just, and the reason I know that is because, one, I talked to John Little about it. Two, I've, I've also talked to medical doctors about that kind of stuff. And they're like, oh, oh no, cortisone and anabolic steroids, we're not talking about the same thing here. All right? But this idea is like, oh, well, he was abusing cortisone, all right, in his lower back. All right? Ergo, he dies of a brain hemorrhage, all right? So there you go, okay? No, it's not the cocaine. It's not all the cocaine he was taking or any of that other stuff. It was the cortisone shots in the back that killed him, all right? Do you know how many cortisone shots Granny's getting their knees and hips because they, they got something going on, dropping dead like flies from cerebral edema? And that is my non-qualified medical opinion, all right? Next one. <laughs> Non-qualified. Non-unqualified medical opinion. Oh, man. Hey, Kung Fu Genius listeners. Are you a fan of Wing Chun Kung Fu? Well, if you listen to me, I assume you are. I got great news for KFG fans. Right now, you can get an all-access one-month free trial subscription to Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Yes, I said free. Go to WCINewsstand.com and register in the upper right-hand corner. Fill out your email and password and use the code KFGTRIAL to get your free trial to all the issues from 2011 to the current issue. That's right all the issues, even the one with this cool guy on the cover. That's me for those of you listening to us on audio. My Kung Fu Genius column is also in all the new issues as if you needed another reason to get this awesome magazine. Go get your free trial subscription today. For all that information, check out the description below. And now back to me. All right, next up, we got Dasaflex. Dasaflex? Dasaflex. You remember Dasaflex? Yeah. I was playing Dasaflex at the, at the job the Old other day, school. man. Yeah. Yeah. There was a whole style of rap that yes. was like that kind of. It was like very fast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was in the 90s. Bum, that was big. Big. Bum, hun. Got the rump, rump. Yeah. Um, Iggity. All right. Hi, guys. I think if Bruce was here today, he would be proud of you guys. I don't know. He'd probably think we were kind of silly and very unserious. Yeah. And he'd be like, my God, you're talking about this stuff that happened 50 years ago still? <laughs> get over it, get losers. Over it, get over it, losers. <laughs> Move on. Yeah. All right. Question. Do we know for sure Bruce had his armpit sweat glands removed? Yes. I find it really difficult that Bruce took that decision. Being in total control of his body, you would think he knew the importance of his body having the need to sweat. Sorry if this is a repeat question. Uh, no, I mean, so, well, there are a couple, couple interesting things to unpack there, okay? Um, with Bruce Lee and all these conspiracies and stuff, it's people say shit all the time, all right? So you, you always have to be careful about, like, believing anything about Bruce Lee because... Uh, so much stuff is just like uh, oh, somebody said. You know, sometimes I read the comments on YouTube, and they're like, "I read once," and then and then what comes after that is a bunch of unsubstantiated bullshit. Oh, like yeah. like people think that you can say, "I read once," "I heard once," uh, "I read somewhere. somebody said," "I read somewhere," "I heard someone said." And you can drop those little sentences at the beginning of something, and then that somehow validates 
whatever horse shit comes out of your mouth after the fact, all right? The fact that you read something, that you heard something, that someone said, that there's a YouTube video about, doesn't mean shit, okay? Doesn't mean shit, even though the Kung Fu genius said, to put the Kung Fu genius said, does not make anything you say after that suddenly qualified. In fact, it might disqualify anything yeah. you say afterwards, all right? So, so on the other side of the spectrum, because there's, like, so much BS about things that people say about Bruce Lee or whether this is true, that did this happen, did that not happen, blah, 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 then there's people who just dismiss stuff because they don't like it or it doesn't make sense, <laughs> all right? And, and so... Like in this case, uh, why would he have his sweat glands removed? Bruce Lee was a martial artist who was in tune with his body or whatever. <laughs> this is an assumption you're making, which is not based on anything. Like, like you're literally assuming you can get into the mind of Bruce Lee and be like, if I were Bruce Lee, I wouldn't have done that. One, you're not Bruce Lee. Two, you have no idea what was going on to Bruce Lee's mind. Hmm. So when it comes to whether these things are true or not, you just need to follow the research, okay? You don't need to, to decide in your mind your personal beliefs and then decide whether your personal beliefs are going to dictate whether this thing is true or not. Like when people say, well, this is my truth, buddy. Dude, there's no such thing as your truth or my truth. There's only the truth, okay? doesn't matter what you believe or, or what, like none of that shit matters. It only matters, is it actually true or not? All right. So if you read in, for example, Matt Pauly's book about the sweat gland removal, all right, well, there's this thing <laughs> in the back of Matt Pauly's book, all right? It's a, <laughs> it's a bibliography, uh -huh. all right, where he has all of his sources, uh -huh. all right? So if you read something, it's in the back like, of a lot of books. Yeah. A lot of books. So if you're like, is this thing true or not? Yeah. One thing you can do is go, where did he get this from? Go in the back, look that up. And find out, is this actual real evidence or is this just someone said? Mm -hmm. All right? And as a matter of fact, I have a copy of the doctor's order about his uh, sweat gland removal. All right? Oh, because Bruce Lee went to the doctor, I believe it was in, it was in November of 72. It was late, late 72. November 11th? No, not November 11th. Uh, so, but, but it was very late in... Uh, in 72 so the sweat gland removal i mean he dies in mid 73 it's not like he was without his sweat glands for a long time he didn't even he was he was not even without his sweat glands for a year mm. he's like oh we'll see you immediately that's the reason why he died no it's not it's not all right i'm sure that uh, bruce lee maybe ate a ham sandwich the day before he died he, oh, he had a ham sandwich the day before he died obviously that's yeah. Like, literally pick anything Pork and go like, we'll see that's the reason why he died okay? he's like calm down tito yeah. all right so <laughs> Uh, no, I saw the doctor's note. It was like Kanos, Kanosa Hospital, which is on the Hong Kong Island side. The, I, remember, I think the guy's, the doctor's name, Dr. Otto Au, A-U. And uh, he was Bruce Lee's doctor. Bruce Lee went there for two problems. One, he was sweating profusely. And you can see that in some press photos of Bruce Yay. Lee sweating so much, right? And he didn't like it. It was pure vanity. Yeah. You go, well, dude, you're so in tune with his body. Why would he do that? He had sweaty pits and he thought it looked like shit and he wanted to get rid of it, all right? Right. All right, but in people's mind, like, Bruce, he's a serene warrior who only, you know, only spouts philosophical stuff. Dude, he was a movie actor who had dank pits and he wanted to fix it, okay? Literally right. says that, like, stop yeah. projecting. She's always your, wet your, down there. Yeah. Your, your warrior 
idea onto someone who is a legit martial artist, series about martial, but also a movie actor. He all right, like, bills too. Yeah, he be like, come Mortgage. on, people. It's like, take it easy. All right, Some human shit. So, on that doctor's note, they had he he had two problems. Uh, one, uh, actually, three problems, which were mentioned by the doctor. There, one was the profuse sweating. Mm-hmm. Um, two was uh, he had acne. That was also one of the things that were on there. He had acne on his face that he was not able to to deal with. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other one was he had a hard time keeping weight on. All right. Uh, and he mm-hmm. was, I believe, in that doctor's note, he was a he was like a buck twenty seven or a buck twenty five. Wow. Yes. All right. So people are like, oh, he was like so skinny and Enter the Dragon. Yeah, I mean, he was lighter. This is after Way of the Dragon, but before Enter the Dragon. And he really was losing weight. Now, what else do we know about this time period? (laughs) Yeah. He was starting to use cocaine a little more heavily. Mm. All right. That's right. You could kind of tell from the doctor's note that his cocaine use was not something he divulged to his doctor. Nah. Why is he having a hard time keeping weight on? I mean, again, it's speculation, but if we look at the. Bob Baker letters, and we match that up to his uh, um, to his daytimers and to what we know was going on. It's pretty strong evidence that he mm. had a pretty regular cocaine habit. So I would Damn. venture to guess, you know, John Little's theory was that while he was in Hong Kong, he, you know, he sweat he sweat a lot, so he was losing a lot of water weight. So that's part of the reason why he generally looked a lot more striated when he was in Hong Kong. He was not more jacked at that time. Everyone thinks like, oh, he got all this muscle. If you come, and and I was one of the people who believed that Uh, until John Little showed me a photo of Bruce Lee in 1969 in the States. And then he compared it to a photo in Big Boss and then one in Way of the Dragon. And you realize Bruce did not have any more muscle mass when he was in Hong Kong. The difference was he was way more striated. He had less water weight, so you could see it. Just like a bodybuilder, before they go to a competition, they yep. use diuretics to shed all the water so that you can just see all the muscles and the striations and stuff, right? Because if you're puffy with water bloat, uh, you're not going to see the muscles as well, right? Which, by the way, if you take anabolic steroids, you tend to retain water, which is why bodybuilders have to go through such hell because they got to take anabolic steroids to gain the, to muscle, get the muscle. And then they got to take all these diuretics to get rid of the water that they're gaining from taking all the freaking steroids, right? So if Bruce Lee was taking anabolic steroids, he was taking really bad shit because he was losing water weight, all right? That's basically what happens to a lot of people if they take steroids and don't work out. They just retain water and turn into a balloon. Ooh. They don't get jacked. They just get... They just get ballooned out. Yeah, just ballooned out, right? So uh, I think that maybe Bruce... You know, John Little's idea was that the Hong Kong heat... You know, because a lot of people talked about Bruce had a hard time dissipating heat or he didn't do well in heat or whatever, which is part of what was the foundation for Matt Pauly's heat stroke theory. Uh, but Bruce definitely did sweat a lot. And it seems that from what some people said that he, he didn't handle heat too well. All right. Damn. Uh, which is like, OK, it's fine. He sweats a lot. He doesn't handle heat well. Can't um, handle heat. Get out the kitchen. According to John Little, he thinks that it was when he moved to Hong Kong because of the extreme heat. And you've been in Hong Kong in the summertime, so you know that Bruce was just sweating a lot and he was losing a lot of interstitial water weight, which is why he was more striated. But now you compound potential regular cocaine habit onto that. And, of course, he had just a breakneck work schedule, you know, training and working and doing all this kind of stuff. So you, you, you compound... Everyone's, like, looking for one thing. And for me, it always just seems like there are a number of factors that are kind of working against Bruce Lee at this time in his life. It's usually what it is, yeah. Yeah, he has extreme amount of stress in his problems with Raymond Chow and money and 
rival movie studios and all this kind of stuff. So he's stressing out. He's working like an absolute maniac. Mm -hmm. He has a regular cocaine habit, all right, which is making him both perhaps paranoid, like becoming increasingly more violent, and but also losing a lot of water weight. He's got acne problems. He can't keep weight on. He's got all this extra stress. And so you have to look at all of these things, and it paints a picture of someone who's not like really... Everyone's like, oh, Bruce Lee was the picture of health, and then he suddenly died. I wouldn't say Bruce Lee looked his healthiest in those last few months of his life. Hmm. If you look at Bruce Lee throughout the course of his life, and you really look at Bruce Lee in those last three months... That's when he was looking gone. He looked like shit. Hmm. Okay? He absolutely looked like shit. There are color photos of him in his last interview that he gave just, I think, a couple days before he passed away. And he was he was white as a sheet. He his, his, his skin tone, he looked, he looked like garbage, okay? <laughs> so this idea that he was, like, as fit as an 18-year-old, great and everything like that, and then just drops it. No, he was in rapid decline at the end of his life. That last photo that was taken before he passes away, which was taken at uh, his 41 Cumberland Road home in Kowloon Tong, he was so gone. He didn't even have, really have abs anymore. He 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 was just he was just not. He was just he was just a skeleton. He just looked. He looked like shit. He looked like absolute shit. And he also was. Damn. And he was also. He had a shirt off, and he was trying to look big. And you, it, it just you, you go. Ugh. No, it wasn't good. It was, no, it wasn't good. And, and, and so this idea that, you know, oh, the doctor at UCLA said he was as fit as an... No, he was not as fit as an 18-year-old. You, you can look at the photos. You can compare him to a year earlier when he was doing... Um, when he was doing the preliminary stuff for Way of the Dragon. He was way, way, way better. Way, way in, in way better condition, looked much better. He, he was not in a good place in, in, in the last period of his life, right? So... Um, I totally forgot what the original question was. I went off on such a tangent. Oh, it was about the cortisol. About right? the uh, so sweat glands. Yeah. yeah so, so sweat you, glands. Oh, yeah, about the sweat glands. Right, sorry. So, so anyway, the doctor's note said in order to, you know, that, that they did in fact remove his sweat glands uh, to, you know, as essentially a cosmetic surgery for reducing the amount of sweat that was in his pits and it even made a note that there was only like a after the surgery there was just a little bit of bleeding and stuff like that so like literally in the doctor's notes they actually talk about what happened after the surgery so so again to kind of come back to this it's like people don't want to believe things but if you look up you know the sources like if there's one thing we do know Bruce did in fact have his sweat glands removed there's literally a doctor's note that talks about the procedure mm -hmm. and even talks about how he recovered afterwards and maybe I think he had a cut or there was some swelling or something under his arm or something like that so we know this for a fact alright so th this is this is not a matter of speculation yeah, yeah. alright what else we got alright next up we got J.P. Steve's hand 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 Steve Shannon hand hand Shannon, hand 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 right. yes I remember in the intro of the DVD version of ETD, Linda Lee officially confirmed that Bruce did indeed see a rough cut of ETD, but didn't mention that it didn't have any music yet. But he loved it nonetheless. I remember Andre Morgan saying that ETD wasn't supposed to be Bruce's magnum opus. It was meant to be a stepping stone to bigger and better things. As Mr. Morgan puts it, 
The idea was to show the finished version of ETD to the higher-ups from Warner Brothers and basically tell them, look, look at what we were able to accomplish on a minuscule budget, relatively speaking. No, it was minuscule. Imagine if he gave us a proper budget to work on. All right. Or uh, imagine if you gave us a proper budget to work on. That's what he's still saying that to them. Mm -hmm. So according to Mr. Morgan, Bruce Lee intended to make an even greater picture than ETD. Enter the Dragon, just so you know. Which makes me wonder if G.O.D. Mm -hmm. would have been better than ETD had he completed it. Because the former would have incorporated his philosophical views on a deeper level. Okay, so that question goes <laughs> everywhere, right? <laughs> uh, the first part was confirming what I talked about on a previous episode about people had asked whether Bruce had seen Enter the Dragon before he passed away. Right. And it seems that, yeah, when he went to his trip to L.A. shortly before he passed away, he saw a rough cut of it. But it was before the famous score from Lalo Schifrin. So, yeah. so Bruce saw Enter the Dragon, but he saw it without um, the music that kind of makes that movie, right? No Lalo. Yeah, no Lalo, right? Uh, but he still liked it and thought it was good. And, and so, yeah, so that confirmed. I mean, I knew that, like, I didn't need Linda Lee to confirm that I know this stuff, all right? I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, and then after that, uh, this was not supposed to be Bruce's magnum opus, yeah, obviously. This was his first Hollywood movie. No one goes, here's my first Hollywood movie. It's going to be the one and done, and then I'm going to retire. Right? So no one ever, all right? Um, except Tymok with Last Dragon. Maybe. No. That was his magnum opus, all right? Uh, that's why he never did another one again. So. Damn. No, I mean, of course not. Obviously, Bruce, I mean, the whole reason why Bruce went to Hong Kong was to go into, to get into Hollywood through the back door, right? Because mm. this was a suggestion by, um, I believe, by James Coburn, you know, when Bruce was just not getting anywhere with Hollywood and he wasn't able to get Silent Flute produced and he wasn't getting any big roles and certainly no starring roles. Um, you know, his student, uh, James Coburn, basically told him, well, why don't you do what uh, Clint Eastwood did? which was oh, Clint Eastwood to, would go, go to Italy and you yeah. make those spaghetti westerns, right? Yeah. You do a bunch of movies there, you get a cult following, you get a name, and then you come back mm -hmm. a bona fide star somewhere else and they're more likely to do something with you, right? Mm. So the whole thing is that the Bruce's Hong Kong films, that was that those were the stepping stones to get back into Hollywood, which he was not able to do the first time around. So his idea was just to go there. I, I believe that Bruce said or, or it had been surmised that Bruce didn't even really want those films to be shown to Western audiences. Although later, obviously, he changed his tone on that and was talking about how the films were being shown in London and so on and so forth. <laughs> um, but I think the idea is that he just wanted to become famous over there so he could come back to the Hollywood producers with like, a, hey, look, uh, I went out and I did this. I'm a bona fide star. Look at some of the stuff I did. Now give me a budget and let's make some movies, right? Yeah. And so uh, he kind of did that, right? He made those... Those three films, they were huge, and then Warner Brother comes knocking while he's shooting Game of Death, and then he gets the offer to do Enter the Dragon. So that was going to be his stepping stone. They were, the budget was very limited. I think it was in the $700,000 range. It didn't even make it to a million dollars. Damn. And that was like, even at that time, was like a TV budget. All right? And, <laughs> One and, episode budget. <laughs> yeah, but here's the crazy thing. Warner Brothers didn't even pay the $700,000 budget thing. They made Raymond Chow pay half. 
So they were like, yeah, so it was like they, they only put up half of that. And it ends up, I think, being the most profitable film that they had ever made in terms of gross sales because they paid jack shit for it. They had one or two. I think they only had one camera for the whole film. And, and the cameraman, who was non-union, while he was flying to Hong Kong to shoot Enter the Dragon, was reading the uh, the manual on the plane of how to use the camera. <laughs> on the camera. Yeah. All right. So so really, like this is this is like this is some shoestring shit, right? Oh, but it's shit. also true. Had Bruce Lee not died, I still think Enter the Dragon would have been a hit, and that would have opened the door for him to do some other do some more Hollywood movies, right? And I, and I believe it was even Joey Chen. Joey Chen was an actor at that time. Um, Joey Chen now I, is kind of batshit crazy. He's he's on he's on YouTube. Joey Chen, if you ever see the footage of Bruce Lee on the set of Enter the Dragon, where Wong Sun Leung is there, um, and he has Wong Sun Leung doing some sparring with some other guy. That other guy is Joey Chen, and the Joey <laughs> Chen guy is moving around like he's Bruce Lee, and he's kind of sparring with uh, with Wong Sun Leung a little bit, right? And that Joey Chen what? guy, he's he's on YouTube now. I mean, obviously, he's much older. This. And he's like, Raymond Chow killed Bruce Lee. Uh, and and uh, he say, and, and and it's so funny because you, you kind of like, you hear him say stuff. And, of course, he knew Bruce Lee. And he worked, you know, at that time, you know, in that circle. And now he's like, oh, Raymond Chow was, the, you know. and he, and he But you kind of have the feeling it's like he's turned into that old crazy kook. You know, and it doesn't mean that because he knew Bruce Lee or whatever that that any of the shit that's coming out of his mouth is true. He's just coming off as like your crazy uncle yeah. who just once he gets going, you yeah. know, because because he'll say stuff like, you know, uh, you know, he he saw Bruce Lee and Raymond arguing all the time, which everyone knows that doesn't mean Raymond killed Bruce Lee. OK, but then he said stuff like in Enter the Dragon, you know, the opening scene where Bruce fights Sammo Hung. Joey was like, that was supposed to be me. And, uh, which is quite possible. He was a martial arts actor at that time. But they, but I guess his body type was too close to Bruce Lee's. So they wanted something to contrast that. And then he goes, and then they got that fat guy. But he says it like that. It's like, dude, that fat guy is Sammo Hung. Like the <laughs> lead, like at that time he was like kind of an unknown stunt guy. He was an up and coming stunt man, I should say. But like, mm-hmm. but to, but this video that Joey Chen shot like a couple years ago, he's like, oh, then they got like the fat guy or whatever. It's like, that, that is Sammo Hung. That guy is a legend of Hong Kong cinema. Yeah. You know, you're some kooky Does guy who put your camera in front of your couch in your living room, <laughs> spouting off theories, and you're getting like 1,200 views on this video, man. Take it easy, wow, all right? I so, see this. so, yeah, yeah. So, Mr. Ac- Morgan. According to Joey Chen, and even though, like I just mentioned a moment ago, I think a lot of the stuff that Joey Chen says is, I think he's kind of full of shit. Mm. Um, But Joey Chen did say something. um, Don't quote me directly on this because I watched uh, Joey Chen Chen quotes. Sifu David Peterson was the one who was like, hey, did you see the Joey Chen stuff on YouTube? And I was like, no. No. And then he turned me on to it. And I started watching that. There's only it's only maybe about five videos or something that Joey Chen put out a couple of years ago, the last couple of years or whatever. It's kind of batshit crazy. (laughs) But but again, you don't have to listen to everything is true, but there are like a couple things obviously in there that are interesting. I mean, and, and so one of the things is that at the time of Bruce Lee's death, he was, I think, going to make a movie with Charles Bronson. So already, and, and I think maybe it was even, I don't know if it was Sophia Loren, but it was, it was some famous actress at that time. So, 
already, at least according to Joey Chen, and I don't believe everything he says, but I, I, I don't think that he's lying about this. Uh, I think Bruce was already kind of moving towards, like, the next movie was going to be now, like, with Charles Bronson, and we're now talking about bigger Hollywood stars, right? So, I mean, of course, it, Enter the Dragon only became his, you know, magnum opus because of his unfortunate death, although I'd still argue way the dragon is better. Mm. But anyway, but, like, I get it, like, but that was not intended to be that, obviously, because they didn't expect him to die. But I think he was already going to do bigger things. Wow. Um, but again, we don't know. I, I think, and I've, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, I think Game of Death, I don't think Game of Death was going to be that good, except for the fight scenes. I mean, the fight scenes are going to be great. And we've seen some of the fight scenes. But uh, when you look at the uncut footage and you just see, like, this is, he, just, he just prattles on. <laughs> in between uh, with like, all this like Jeet Kune Do f- philosophical stuff and it kills the pacing of the film and I think audiences would have been like that, that's kind of like the stage where he's such a big star he can think he thinks he can do whatever he wants and the audience will like it and I think they would have seen that and be like mm, it's very preachy and weird dumb um, dude and I think his idea for Lam Kun Bak the Southern Fist Northern Kicks I think that that was also a philosophical movie about Jeet Kune Do, but I think that was a way better concept than Game of Death. And and I think Game of Death would have been a hot mess. But I also think that if Enter the Dragon did really well, um, I still think he probably would have aborted Mission on Game of Death because he just wow. shot a couple of test scenes. He, I mean, what's he going to do? Fi- rather finish a movie for Raymond Chow or go and make movies in Hollywood? He doesn't give with a Charles shit about Bronson. With Charles Bronson at the time, right? So, so I, I think that I think he would have moved on. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. What else we got? Wow, dude. This is an uh, interesting day. All right. Next up, we got JKD Charleston. All right. Sifu Alex showcasing some mad verbal Tai Chi skills. Question Do we really know who Dryzen is? Could it be Beery Incognito? P.S. Dre. Thanks for the shout-out. Hmm. I never know what episode they're referencing when they do this, because we normally do these, like, a few weeks after those episodes, and they're like, Mm -hmm. great episode, love that thing you talked about. Like, I literally don't remember. People ask me all the time, like, oh, what was that episode where you talked about this? Like, dude, we're in our... We're in the 60s in terms of our episodes. I can't can't even tell you what we talked about on our first episode. I mean, we... If... I mean, this episode comes out... Uh, a couple weeks after the well, Dryzen came to the school, so mm-hmm. we found out who Dryzen is. Yes, some random crazy from New York City. That oh, well, actually, that's speculation. I don't know where he's from, but he's a crazy. He came up off the streets. I had to, I had to, you know, serve him. You had serve to slap him, him some, some, you know. But he kind of looks like you. That's a weird thing. It is a little. People have, people have also. I wouldn't did, say he looks like me, but you know, there's also been a he's, weird. Cons- he seems like he's from Brooklyn, though. There's also a weird conspiracy because his name is Dryson, mm-hmm. D R E I S O N Dryson. Right. It's like, like one name. Yeah, even though people sometimes people write like D R Y S O N, it's like no, right. no, 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 son. Right. It's not do Dyson. Even, do you even watch the episode where <laughs> we put the guy's name in there? Dryson, D R E I S O N. Right, dude. St- they're like some weird theories. They're like, but wait a minute. Dre from the Kung Fu Genius podcast, mm-hmm. his name is Dre Ison. Yeah. 
And like, if, I'm connected with this guy. And if you put those two names together, mm -hmm. yo, it spells Dryson. It does spell Dryson. I didn't even realize that until recently. <laughs> until that guy said that. I was like, wait a minute. Dryson is literally Dre Ison together. as one word. No that, one, that messes me up. You never, so you much. didn't realize that. No, I didn't realize that. No, man. you, you, that, you, was, that went way over messing. my head, man. You that messing. went way over my head. You messing? Yeah, not at all, not at all. <laughs> Conspiracy theories, man. Yeah, well, I think he's a member of the Illuminati. He could be. Yeah, it's possible. Yo, he did have have like that look. Yeah, he that Illuminati look, because we all yeah, know he definitely the Illuminati had a dead look. look in his face. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So anyway, if you guys haven't seen that, go to the Kung Fu Genius Instagram at yeah. the Kung Fu Genius. It'll probably be a few weeks old at the time of this episode. We go back, and it was right after the whole Will Smith, right. Chris Rock debacle. Yeah, uh, coincidentally, Tyson came to the school. Yeah. Coincidentally, started talking a bunch of ish, and got slapped by Dre over here. Yeah, because you know you don't. So, talk but anyway, about... because there was speculation that the two of you are the same person. Yeah, the video basically proves dis it. disproves this that proves. because you and Dreyson are in the same video. All right. Completely. I mean, you slapped them. I slapped the shit it out of them. Get, it doesn't get any more real than that. Slapped S-H-I-T. That's what's up. You know? All right, so. next question. All right. Next up, we got our boy, Andrew Lin. Andrew Lin in the house. Mm-hmm. He, he makes it into a lot of episodes. He does. I wonder yeah. why. Maybe because he edits them. <laughs> he edits himself in. That's right. <laughs> All right. He's asking, do you have... Thoughts on starting martial arts later in life. Wait, what? And overcoming not having a foundation in them earlier on. I started in my late 20s. Oh, that's which, way over the hill. <laughs> which is probably not even that old compared to some. But always find myself wishing I had trained more seriously in some sort of martial art in my late teens or early 20s mm. yeah well what are you gonna do i mean you are what you are you start when you start you start when you start so you gotta make up for lost time as you long gotta, as you start and keep going that's the most important yeah. thing right don't give up yeah if you wait for everything to be perfect you'll never do anything right mm. so yeah i mean obviously people you know wish they had started early i mean what are you gonna do about that yeah i think just wasting time worrying about that is mm. already the wrong thing to do right um there is a uh an example in, in, in Wing Chun from my own lineage from uh, uh, Hong Kong. Uh, there was a Sivu by the name of uh, Tam Hung Fun. Tam, Tam Hung Fun. Tam, Tam Hung Fun uh, started Wing Chun, I think, in the very late 60s or very early 70s. I mean, in 1969, 1970s, something mm -hmm. like that, right? And uh, Tam Hung Fun originally went to uh, Yip Man to ask him for instruction in Wing Chun. Okay. And at that time, Yip Man had already retired and wasn't teaching, and Yip Man suggested that uh, Tam Hung Fun learn from Lerang Teng, who, who had learned from Yip Man privately. He said, yeah, you should go and learn from, from Lerang Teng. And then so Tam Hung Fun was basically rejected by Yip Man, and for obvious reasons, Yip Man was old, he wasn't really teaching anyone, and definitely didn't have the need or patience to teach a student from the beginning at that point in his career. Mm -hmm. So he basically pawned them off on Lerang Teng. And then Tam Hung Fun started learning from Lerang Teng, and from what I understand, he was already in his 40s at that time. Okay, and from what the late Sifu Elman Leung told me, he said when Tam Hung Fun started, he was he was an absolute psycho. <laughs> he said he would just he would train twice as hard as everyone else. He would hit the wall bag three, four times as much as everyone else. He was it was famous at that time. If you looked at photos of Tam Hung Fun's hands, he had mm -hmm. like the barnacles growing out of his knuckles. 
And so he just, he's kind of, for me, the classic example of someone who quote unquote started late, although Mm -hmm. 40s is not late. Uh, I mean, what is starting late? I mean, just you want to do martial arts, no matter how freaking old, just start it, just do it, just yeah. go. All right, don't don't fret about starting it, just start it. All right, but I guess maybe in an effort for him to make up for lost time, he just trained like an absolute maniac, mm-hmm. and he accelerated in his progress so quickly, like because he was practicing his punches and kicks all the time, and they said he was so difficult to train Chisa with because he was so violent. So he was just so hardcore, and he was like, you know, he was like the fire at the circus. Yeah. He was intense. He was intense. All right? And uh, so he made up, so to speak, for lost time. Okay. And then he ends up becoming an instructor. He also ends up becoming one of the trainers for the full contact fighters in the Langting gym in the 70s. And he ends up becoming one of the more prominent masters within the Langting Wing Chun world before he had his fallout. Like, with Sifu Langting, like, everyone who <laughs> follows Sifu Langting for any period of time eventually <laughs> has, right? So um, is he still around? Tom Fun unfortunately passed away. I think he passed away around 2009, 2010, something like that. Mm. I I had always wanted to meet Tom Fun because I, he was always in the books and I knew his name. But the problem was Tom Fun had left the Langting Association in the 90s, and at the time of Tom Fun's death, I was still part of the Langting Association. And mm. Siva Langting would frown down upon you visiting ex-members of his association because he deemed them rebels. And so if I had gone to Hong Kong and visited Tam Hong Fun while I was still learning from Lang Ting and Lang Ting found out about that, he would get kind of pissed off. Like, oh, why, 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 why you go see that, that, that yeah. rebel? He's a troublemaker. You know, like he would, he would get really pissed off, right? Is he the guy who beat up the sailors? He was the guy who beat up the sailors. And, <laughs> yes. and I always wanted to meet him just to, to say hi to him, you know, okay. because... Uh, I remember him in the books and, you know, he's someone like I knew his face and from the videos and stuff like that. But I also knew that if I visited him, Sigong would get pissy, right? And so I didn't want to jeopardize that. And then, unfortunately, Tam Hong Fun passed away while I was still in the association. So I never had a chance mm. to meet him. Had he passed away a few years after, after I left the association, I more than likely would have gone by and, and, and said hi to him and, yeah. and you know pay my respects to, to, to him and say, oh, I remember you from the books and watching your moves and copying your moves from the books is like part of my very early Wing Chun Damn. training, right? So, um, but he's an example of someone who started late and how did he overcome starting late? He gave zero fucks. Hmm. All right? Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm in my 40s. I don't give a shit. Yeah. And he just trained twice as hard as everyone else. All right? I did see. he probably have a harder time recovering and was it harder for him? Like, yeah, but you know what? He didn't care. He, he just did care. it. All right? Yeah. Sometimes the best thing in the world is the Nike slogan. Just do it. (laughs) Just do it. Just do it. I thought he was going to say give zero fucks. That's also important. That's what Nike should change their shit. Give zero fucks. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) All right. We got time for one more. You know, it would be strange if you start in your late 20s and then you quit in your early 20s. That's like a dry hypothetical right there. We got to... <laughs> we gotta sell that to Dryzen. That's what's yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Alright man, we got time for one more. Oh, do we? Yep. No. You're lying. Alright. Well we barely have time for one more. We gotta do our live in about twenty minutes. And Mikey no. Dean is still not here. Mikey Dean's still not here. This is the time where does the time go? I know. Alright. Now uh Shit. Next up we got Dryzen. Who didn't see that coming? <laughs> Who didn't? I didn't see that coming because I scrolled and it was right yeah. there. And again, no Mikey Dean back in there to go, Shaka! <laughs> Shaka! Why is he? Hall! All right. Anyway, 
Um, Dryzen is asking a non-hypothetical. All right. A non-hypothetical. He literally says, this is a non-hypothetical. Do you think Bruce Lee meant it when he wrote that if people fuss over the name Jeet Kune Do, that it should be wiped out forever? Is this the second time Dryzen asked a legitimate question without a hypothetical attached I don't like this, Dryzen. I think Dryzen's changing his tune. I don't like this, this... Nah. But that's a legit thoughtful question. Is, if Bruce did that slap some sense into him the other day? Maybe that's week what ago, happened. Two when weeks you ago? slapped him, you slapped some sense into him. You slapped <laughs> the slapped hypothetical out of him. You hypothetically slapped the <laughs> hypothetical out of him. And now he's just like, it's Dreyson. Uh, yeah. Uh, when Bruce Lee said uh, people shouldn't fuss over the name he JKD. He wants you to answer these questions. Did he mean it? Yeah, he wants me to answer. He's yeah. got legit questions. Wow. Something's he, he wrong. figured it out. The apocalypse is nigh. <laughs> Did Bruce Lee really mean it? Uh, yeah, at the end of uh, Tao of Jeet Kune Do, he said that he didn't want people to fuss over what Jeet Kune Do was, if it's mm. different from this or different than that. Then the name should be wiped out completely. Again, very strong evidence that he was not trying to create an established martial art. And strong. here we are, 50 years later, and people are like, original Jeet Kune Do, Jeet Kune Do concepts, Jeet Kune Do is just an idea, Jeet Kune Do is this, da 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 And literally he said, if people fuss about it, the name should be wiped out. Um, yeah, who knows? I mean, maybe, you know, maybe he said that because it sounds super badass. Mm. Like, I've created this awesome thing. Yeah. And when I'm gone, if you guys are fighting over it, well, I want that name to go away. Mm. Look, we don't know what's going on in Bruce Lee's head. Because but he's seen a lot of that going on. Yeah, around. but also, like, he might have just said that shit because it sounds cool. Like, <laughs> I'm such a badass. I'm going to create this total awesome idea about martial arts and a framework mm-hmm. about the philosophy of martial arts and how you should apply it to find the root mm-hmm. of your own ignorance. But if y'all MFers are fighting about this stuff after I'm dead, it should just be wiped out. Wow. I mean, there could be some kind of philosophical vanity in that question all right in that statement i should say but uh no i think that he re- i think that he really didn't care wow you know i think i think he i i don't think he was looking beyond his own nose in terms of the longevity of jeet kundo i don't think he was thinking about this being like a, a super long established style or anything like that i think he really meant it that people shouldn't fuss over it and if they do you know the name should be wiped out and that's all i gotta say about that. Alright guys, well I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Kung Fu Genius. As always don't forget to like this episode, subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius, hit that bell for notifications and if you have any questions for a future episode of the Kung Fu Genius, write them in the comments below. And as always, I'll see you guys next time. Word is I'm a Kung Fu Genius. Technique speaks for me not lineage. Forget Jet Li cause I'm the one. Many call me Sifu but to you I'm Seagung and I produce masters. You surpassed us, your kung fu stiffer than corpse and caskets. City Wing Chung is the house I built. Violate the gate and your blood gets spilt. Alex Richter, always the victor. It's the eye of the liger. Love lawyers. You know they can't reproduce, right? Why not? Because they're a hybrid of a lion and a tiger, and, and when they're made, they cannot reproduce. So they cannot produce offspring. Same thing with the, the tiglon, which is the opposite. They also cannot reproduce. Things you learn on the Kung Fu Genius. Bullshit. Hey man. All right, talk talk that to the uh, sucks, talk man. to the Liger Council. All right, let's go. <laughs> I want to see Bruce Lee and Charles Bronson in that banger. I I want to see Bruce Lee and Charles Bronson run a train on Sophia Loren. 
Lots of gems. Lots of mixing kung fu styles. Lots of, I want to see Bruce Lee and Charles Bronson in shit.